Join me tonight, if you would, in the Gospel according to Esther. The Gospel according to Esther. We're in the ninth chapter of this wonderful book of Esther. God's providence displayed. God directing through the lattice. We have seen many times his fingerprints are all over this uh, wonderful book. Even though we don't find his name mentioned, we do find his presence. And that's so important. We're looking here in this ninth chapter, and I'd like to begin reading tonight with verse 18. We've looked at verse 18 a little bit in the past, and we're not going to spend much time on it, but we do find in there three things that the uh, children of Israel did after the, the great plague was thrown away, taken away from them. They were in serious issue, serious problem. And you know, we find ourselves after we're born again, we find out a little bit of what a serious problem we were in. And it's not really understood until after we're born again. And we see that uh, if the Lord says something, we can almost say that, well, it's worse than I thought. It's worse than I thought continuously as we go on. So there's not one good thing in us, nothing that promoted or prompted God to move in us. So uh, we're thankful. It says, but the Jews that were in Shushan assembled together Esther chapter 9, verse 18, assembled together on the 13th day thereof, on the 14th day thereof, and the 15th day thereof, of the same they rested and made a day of feasting and gladness. And we looked at that, how the Lord blesses us with this. He blesses us with rest. He blesses us with feasting upon him. And he blesses us with the gladness of the kingdom. And what a joy it is to enjoy those things. And then in verse 19, Therefore the Jews of the village that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month, Adar, a day of gladness and feasting and a good day, and of sending portions one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in the provinces of the king, Ahasuerus, both near and far, nigh and far. And we noticed last week as we looked at this, that these letters that went out were specifically towards one group of people. They were towards the Jews. Now we're going to find out, or we have found out, that there were a number of those who were Persians that became Jews because of the fear of the Jews, the reverence, the respect that God had given them for himself. So it wasn't because they were afraid of dying. They wanted, there's a blessing here. We can see that God's moving with them in a very particular and a special way through uh, Mordecai and through Queen Esther. So they become Jews. And, and we notice that in the scriptures that there were a number of people in the Old Testament that were Gentiles that God dealt with in such a gracious way. Uh, two of them of great note, they're mentioned in the lineage of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And that's Rahab the harlot and Ruth the Moabitess. So he, he dealt with them and he has dealt with many of the, the Gentiles. In fact, if we go back far enough, we find that Abraham was a Gentile just as much as we are. And then he goes on to tell us here, uh, verse 21, to establish this among them that they should keep the 14th day of the month, Adar, and the 15th month of the same yearly. <clears throat> so he is bringing to their attention that it would be a wonderful thing if they kept this feast perpetually. That if they kept this feast every year that they would be reminded of the great providence of God in setting them free 
from bondage. They were at the very brink, and yet the Lord brought them back and set their feet on solidness, on a solid rock. They had a great leader to lead them. They had Mordecai. They had Queen Esther. They had this blessing given to them. And so they, the fear was taken away. In fact, we find God truly turned their darkness into light. And we find that's what the gospel does. It turns our darkness into light and their agony into joy. Uh, we, it doesn't take us too much to realize what they were in and how close that is to us when he saves us. I mean, worst days of my life. I, I still term that as the great tribulation. <laughs> When God revealed to me that my, my religion was worthless, everything I'd been taught was wrong, and, but I, I couldn't get to the right until he revealed himself to me. Uh, we find that uh, he turned their, their weeping into singing and their weariness to rest and their fear to peace. And it just takes us right back to what we heard on Sunday. We get peace. Our fear is put to rest. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it tells us, as the days wherein the Jews rested, even from their enemies, and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and sending portions one to another, gifts to the poor, the Jews undertook to do as they had begun and as Mordecai had written unto them. What a blessing it is when God's people undertake to do what the Lord tells us to do. That's our goal. Uh, I was asked today, do I ask for forgiveness of sin every day? And I shared with this person, yes, I may do that, but I'm not afraid that he hasn't forgiven my sin. I have faith that he has forgiven my sin. Now, we sin every day, and he's pleased when we come, and we admit that, but our eternal life does not hinge on whether we beg for him. He's not withholding his grace to us. Uh, forgiveness of sin is taken care of at the cross, and we, by the grace of God, come saying, Lord, forgive me, knowing full well it's forgiven. <laughs> so it's not a, we're not in a parley sense. We're not, uh, he's not going to, put us out of the kingdom because we didn't come one day and the next day he's going to put us back in because we did ask for forgiveness. So, uh, you know, so many things are asked people when you don't, they don't know anything. Uh, all right. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun and as Mordecai had written unto them. They, the Jews accepted Mordecai's proposal. You know, we hear the word accepted a lot. Did you accept Jesus? Well, I'm thankful that in the scriptures we find that word used the other way around. We're accepted in the beloved. If God hasn't accepted us in the beloved, we can never accept him. And that's foolishness. The Jews undertook to do as it was begun. And because Haman, now just a little bit of, of uh, why, this is going on, just a little bit of history about why this is happening. Because Haman, the son of Hagodetha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had tried to kill them all, had devised against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur. Now this word pur means a lot, and it means that he was a superstitious person. He was superstitious in the sense 
that he cast lots on days, months, and uh, months of the year to find out when would be the luckiest time to go against the Jews. And that's why that date was said, the 13th day of the month Adar, we think say somewhere in December, but he cast lots over this. Well, it is interesting that the Jews adopt a name that reminds them of the peril that they were in, that Haman had this idea of taking them all out, and yet the tables were turned, just as we find uh, the tables were turned on our sin, the tables were turned on our, uh, uh, on our relationship to Adam, the tables were turned on him being our father, we have the tables turned to God is our father, Jesus Christ is our savior, things are all new. It goes uh, in there in verse 24, that is the lot to consume them and to destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, a more reminder, let's keep this up. Let's be reminded of why we're having this celebration, why we're having this time once a year that they're being encouraged to meet together. And remember, Haman tried to destroy us. We, we come, we're going to be talking about the Lord's table here in a minute. That's our remembrance. That's we're reminded of it. And we're reminded that sin was our enemy and Christ took care of it. And then we have Esther came before the king, commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should return unto his own head, that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Wherefore they called these days Purim after the name Pur. Therefore, for all the words of this letter and of that which they had seen concerning this matter and which had come unto them. So this is going to happen every year. And if I'm not mistaken, they still do it. They still do the Passover. The, the Orthodox Jews still do the Passover, and I think they still do this per every year as uh, the Passover reminds them of getting out of Egypt, and this reminds them of the events during Haman's reign there in the, in the uh, time of Esther. Now, turn with me back to the third chapter of the book of Esther for just one verse, Esther chapter 3 and verse 7, and we find out this is what uh, Ahasuerus did. It says, in the first month, that is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, the lot, before Haman from day to day, from month to month, to the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. So they were trying to come up with the best time that the gods would smile on them. <laughs> they cast lots. Well, it didn't work. You know what it did? <laughs> to me, it's just amazing. It put it off far enough that a second letter could get out. <laughs> that liberty could be declared. It just, and it just really shows to us that when it pleased God, that's when he saves us, when it pleases God. It's not when we're too old. It's not when we're too young. It's when it pleases God. Uh, when the, the Apostle Paul wrote there, uh, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. That's the issue. So when it pleased God, this was taken care of. Now, they planned and planned and planned, but their plans were turned around, and we're just thankful that the plan that took place in the Garden of Eden was destroyed by our great victor, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what a blessing that these Jews did not try to redo 
an ancient Persian celebration. They made a new one. God called on them through Esther and through Mordecai to have something totally different. I'm sure that there were many celebrations in Persia at this time for the old ancient gods. But they did not do that. They did not pick up something from them. They, uh, it was totally new, and it was totally new to them, and it was totally new in the Persian Empire. And the Jews, once a year, were going to follow this. And it seems that they followed it out until the Persian Empire disappeared and someone else came along. They'd like to take these thoughts of celebration and move forward to the time of Christ. Once a year. Now, we do not find a definite time in Scripture when we're supposed to do what we're going to read about. There, they had it once a year. And I've known places that only have a communion service once a year. I'm not in favor of it. But it doesn't mean I'm going to declare non-fellowship because there's nothing said about it. It was toward the end of the Lord's ministry, he brought something totally new to the disciples. Now, it was not new to him, but it was totally new to the disciples. They tell us in the book, and we'll read that in just a moment, they tell us in the book of Matthew that they were ready to partake of the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare the Passover? And the Lord went along with it. This is where when they uh, uh, said, go ask a man and he'll tell you where a place is already. So the Lord took care of it. The Passover was instituted while Israel was in Egypt and it declared when they were set free. But when we get the true Passover lamb, that was done away with. Christ is our Passover. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul was led to write many things to the Corinthians to help them understand that Christ is the issue. And here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he brings out this very point. Christ is the issue. Whatever you're doing, it better be in line with Christ is the issue. Purge out, therefore, verse 7 of chapter 8 of the book of 1 Corinthians, purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be new lump as ye were unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So when the significance of the Passover was completed, when the Lamb of God became the true Passover and fulfilled what that pictured, we have that rite, that celebration done away with on the very night that Jesus Christ was betrayed. He did away with what is the Passover, and it's foolishness to continue it. I don't care where you are, it's foolishness. Now, people are going to continue it, just like we find people continue many things that the Bible says, it's over, it's finished, it's done away with. Well, here we find that Christ is our Passover, and turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew. As we think about those Jews many years ago in the Persian Empire, were instructed by Mordecai and Esther to start a celebration, a remembrance. Be reminded once a year how the Lord has blessed you. Well, if it follows suit, we're going to find out that they begin to worship it more than the one that saved them, just like we find it today. People would worship the institution of communion service over the Savior that it declares, and they turn it into things that it is not. It is not salvation, never has been, never will be, but it has been turned into that, just like baptism and the, and the other things. So Matthew chapter 26, 
In Matthew chapter 26, we find that the Lord Jesus shares with us a remembrance similar to what we find over here. Only this remembrance is to be done as oft as you do it. As oft as you do it. There is no instructions how often. There's no instructions where. We could have this down on the riverbank. I'd want warm weather. There's no instructions where. There is instructions who. That's believers. That's the ones that is intended to take the Lord's Supper. All right, here in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 17, we read these words. Now, on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? Now, this is the last authoritative Passover. This is the last time a Passover is going to be commemorated, sanctioned by the Lord. The next year when they had it, he's not in it. It's finished. It's over. He's done away with it. So he says here, where do you want it? Now he said, go into the city to such a man and say unto him, the master saith, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. Now that's interesting instructions. My time is at hand. He's recognizing what is going to happen. Now, when he was born, he recognized that. Before the foundation of the world, he recognized what it was going to take to deliver his people from their sins. And he said, my time is here. There's a special man. There is an individual. We don't even know his name, but he has been instructed by the Holy Spirit that when these disciples come, he's going to show them the place that the Lord has need of. And I'll keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. He doesn't even invite this guy to come in. Only his disciples were there. And I think one of them left by the time it was instituted. I think he took the Passover, but I don't think he took. The disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now, what did they have? They had a roasted lamb without broken body. No bones broken. How they did that? It's not told us. Where did they cook that lamb? Maybe right there. Maybe it was roasted with bitter herbs. They came together to take the Passover, and the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they were made ready the Passover. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of them out of the four, mention the institution of the Lord's Supper. John doesn't, but you know, it is so important that Jesus Christ instructed a disciple of his by the name of Paul, the apostle, to write to the Corinthians. Now, there is nothing ever else said about baptism. Paul was never used to write the instructions about baptism. He was used to say, I thank God I baptize none of you. Then the Holy Spirit brought to his attention, except Crispus and Gaius and maybe another one. But that was not his job. His job was preaching the gospel, and God would take care of the deliverance of people, and then they would ask for baptism. So they're up there, they're in the upper room, and he says here, uh, and when it was even, they sat, he sat down with the twelve. They made ready the Passover. They had the same elements that we read over in the book of Exodus chapter 12. 
They were under the same economy as we read in Exodus chapter 12. This has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, there was great span of time that we read in the Old Testament that they did not take the Passover, and one king was brought to his attention. He said, oh, no. So he sent out word to all the, the tribes to come and take the Passover. Now, it was too late to do it at the right time, but you know what? God said, okay. It's important that you take it. It's not the date, days, moons, all that stuff. So they came. Now, he sent posts out, just like Ahasuerus did, just like Mordecai did, just like Esther did, to bring the news and come down here and join us. And we find everybody laughed those posts to scorn. What are you talking about? I'm not going over there. We haven't done it for a thousand, no, a hundred years. There's no need to do it. And there are a few out of Manasseh and a few out of Zebulon whose hearts were turned. Nevertheless, some hearts were turned and they came. And there was never a Passover like that, it says. One of the things about it is the people did not provide the lamb. The king did. We find what a beautiful picture this is. The king provided the lambs. Here we find whoever provided this lamb, they are sitting down to the Passover. This is the last one. This is the last one. There will never be another one that God will authenticate. So it says they sat down with the twelve, and as he did eat, he said, Verily I send you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one unto, to say unto him, Lord, is it I? You know, there's only one guy there that didn't know what that meant. The rest of them knew they were capable. They knew. We know. If it wasn't for the, for the guiding hand of God on us, what we are capable of doing. I'm thankful for restraining grace. All 11 of those, the 11 denied the Lord, ran away. Peter gets his name tacked on, and so he's the one that's the culprit. But everybody did that. And you know what happened? When it was all over, the Lord came to all of them and says, Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. He never ragged on them about it. All right, and then it goes on here. Uh, And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. And the Son of Man goeth as it was written, but woe unto him, a woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, I think at this point Judas goes out, the devil comes in him, we'll compare the other scriptures. If not, it doesn't make any difference. But he starts right here, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul says, I received of the Lord. Don't Don't think for a moment that he's just carrying on about the Passover here. Don't think for a moment that he hasn't changed gears. The Apostle Paul helps us to understand he changed gears here that he is instituting something whereby we are called on to remember his death, his death, 
not over in Egypt, but his death. We're caused to remember Calvary. We're caused to remember him going to the cross. We're caused to see him. And he shares with us that it's not a lamb. It's not a physical lamb. It is my body and it is my blood. He wants them to understand this. And you know, when we come together and we celebrate the communion service, we are called on to celebrate his death for us. He's talking about the atonement. He's talking about the atonement. And he's talking about the atonement as he, sh- as he shared with us earlier in the book of John. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for my elect. I lay down my life for those I have known from eternity. I will not, I shall not, and I never will die for the whole world. I'm not dying for people that go to hell. I am dying for those that I will save. All right? And he takes it, it says, He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. This is symbolic of my body. I am going to the cross. I am going to die. I am going to do what the Old Testament scriptures have declared, and I'm going to do what I've been telling you every day of my personal ministry with you. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be betrayed. Be betrayed. The high priests are going to condemn me. I'm going to be taken out. I'm going to be crucified. I will be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all mine unto me. That's what he said. So he shares with us. In verse 26, he comes to the point, and this is so important because this is where the Apostle Paul picks up. He doesn't cover the Passover. He covers the Lord's Supper the same night that he was betrayed. All right? He said, the Lord Jesus, while they were eating, concluded Passover's over. Jesus took bread. Now, I'm convinced that this was unleavened bread but I'm not going to argue over it because he doesn't say it's unleavened bread. I just believe that he was spotless. I believe his, that bread, unleavened bread represents his spotless body. It, there's no sin, no contamination. Sharing with a young man today, there's so much about Jesus Christ that we cannot understand. He never had a pimple. He never had a cold. He never had indigestion. He never needed to go to the doctor. He never had sinus problems. He never had poor eyesight. He never had any of the marks of sin. His hair did not turn gray. (laughs) It didn't fall out. And I shared with that young man, can you imagine when Mary got her second child? This is totally different. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, that young man said, I didn't know Jesus had brothers and sisters. Well, we showed him in the scripture that he did. He did have brothers, and he did have sisters, and four of his brothers are named in the scriptures. All right. So in verse, uh, uh, there it says, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. Now, that's very interesting. Most religions deny Deny drinking of the cup. You'll get the host, but you won't get the wine. 
because that's too precious. If it gets down on the floor, we have the blood of Jesus on the floor. Well, anyway, he says, take it, drink you all of it. This is for you. I want you to know that this is a demonstration of how you are saved. You will eat me. Spiritually. You will be, have life from me. I, you will be grafted in from me. I will sustain you. I will carry you. And then it says, For this is, the, is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. All right. We are having our thoughts directed to the lowest part of the humiliation of Jesus Christ when we look at the Lord's Supper. He came to this earth and was humiliated. He was humbled. He was King of kings and Lord of lords. And for the to begin with, to be placed in a woman's womb for nine months when he was the creator of heaven and earth, to be born in the agony of his, mo- his mother's agony, to be born that way, to have to have a navel cut, to go through the circumcision, to have all of this humiliation, that is just small potatoes compared to what he endured on the cross on the behalf of his people taking all their sin and having it imputed to him, placed upon him in such a way that he could take care of it all and pay for it all and never have another sin brought up. No charge will ever be laid to any of his people. So he has done this. This supper preaches the doctrine that Christ died for our sins and that we live by his death. He's going to die, but we're going to be alive. To look at the remembrance aright, we must conclude that he speaks volumes about the atonement here. He is going to lay down his life for his people. He is going to pay every debt they've ever owed, spiritually speaking. Now, we may owe money to the people who own our house, or we're good, but he, he may not take care of that. You may have to work by the sweat of your brow to do that. But when it comes to the sin issue, we have no participation in the payment. It is all his or it is nobody. We, we can't pay it. The, this celebration causes us to remember the atoning death of Christ for, our, for his people. And the emblem here, bread and wine, body and blood. His life, his life, his life. This do in remembrance of me. What a reminder. We rejoice in the rest, the feasting, and the gladness when we participate in this communion service. We are declaring we are at rest. We're declaring that we're feasting on the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and we're glad to be in the kingdom of God. We know that the two ordinances were instituted, the Lord's Supper and Baptism, And as we read there in Matthew chapter 26, but the Apostle Paul was used to write some things over in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we're called on to remember, 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 we're called on to remember the death of Jesus until he comes back. 
to remember the atonement of our Savior until he comes back to remember the payment price that it took to buy, put our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's what we're to remember. So here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have the Apostle Paul writing these words. Verse 23, verse 23, we're going to start there. Paul shares this, and it's so important. There are people that would, could go over there and they could read Matthew and say, well, see, he's, he's not changed. He's just going on with the Passover. He's just talking about that. Well, God headed that off and says, Paul, you're going to write to these Corinthians and you're going to straighten that mess up. People will go off to anything. Now, Paul says, for I have received of the Lord. This is from the Lord. That which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks. Now we find here that this is such a demonstration of thanksgiving. He gave thanks over the bread and over the wine, but we give thanks over his broken body and his shed blood, his atonement made for us. We thank God. When he had given thanks, he break it. He took that bread. You know, uh, if I've made a few loaves of bread, not very many. Uh, we used to have a bread maker, so you're not even involved in the in the baking process. It takes care of it all. Wonderful bread. That's why we had to quit. It was too good. <laughs> but you know, I have helped my dad grind grain into flour. Now we had to turn those knives or those the cutter heads so close together to make flour because it was used to just breaking up the grain and feeding it to the stock but we wanted to make some flour out of it so it took so much more effort by that tractor and heat was you could just feel the heat on there well we think about this bread that jesus christ is using it had to be broken grain and it was mixed and it was baked how it describes the work and ministry of our Savior. He was truly put in an oven on the cross. And then grapes have to be crushed, broken, and that juice taken and and go through the process that is necessary to have wine. And both of those things illustrate broken body, shed blood, broken body, heat, the great payment that Jesus Christ made on the behalf of his people, the atonement that he made, that they could be set free, the propitiation, propitiation, payment price for our sin. Take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Don't remember Egypt, remember me. This do in remembrance of me. Now, we're finding over there in the book of Esther that those people were called on to remember being set free, being delivered. Uh, The act of grace that God did to spare those people from certain death that had been prescribed. You know what? Adam gave that to us. He gave us the death warrant. We are dead in trespasses and sin, and we can't do a thing about it. We may whine about it, but we can't do a thing about it. Well, Jesus Christ has taken care of the death warrant. 
Just like Mordecai and Esther and King Ahasuerus took care of the death warrant that had been sent out by Haman. They're delivered, and now they're celebrating over it. We're going to do this once a year. Thank God we get to celebrate more often than that. Every time the gospel is declared, we get to celebrate. And then there's a special celebration that we have when we take the communion service. It is a time of thanksgiving. He broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Keep me in mind. I am your atonement. Keep me in mind. I am your deliverance. Keep me in mind. I am your salvation. And then, and after the same manner, he also took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You know, the New Covenant, as he, or New Testament, as he mentions here, it is new only that it takes, it supersedes the Old Testament. This covenant is called the Everlasting Covenant in the book of, of Hebrews, and the Everlasting Covenant and the New Covenant was made in the council halls of eternity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in old eternity. This is what God had always purposed and how he would save his people. They were not saved by the sacrifices of animals in the Old Testament, and they were not saved by doing some thing. They're saved by the grace of God. And then in verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death and all that it entails. Why? For who? When was this determined? Just go and look at all the things that surround us. The spokes that come out of those words in every direction, sharing with us in the scriptures why Jesus Christ came to begin with. I came to lay down my life for the sheep. He's always saying that. And then it says there, show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. If you look at it more than that, if you look at it more, if it is something that's going to deliver you from a position that you're in, you have taken it out of context. It will be used against you. So God's people say, yea and amen. This is a picture. This is a type. This is a shadow of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm declaring his death on my behalf until he comes again. And when he comes again, there will be no need for it again anymore. Passover's done away with. All of the Old Testament sacrifices were finished and over with. We only have these two things in New Testament times, and that is the ordinance of believer's baptism and the ordinance, the celebration of celebrating the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the behalf of the church. And so, as Mordecai said, we're going to have a celebration. We're going to have it once a month. I mean, once a year. We're going to do it for two days out of a year. Annually, over and over. Well, I'm sure that there were a few of the people over time said, oh, isn't this a fine, fine time? I don't know what it means. Well, to the church... The supper is never put into that light. I know what it means. It means his death, my life.
we'll stop for tonight.